0: Hello and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi
1: Chris. Hi Peter.
0: Wow, November already Chris. Uh, Autumn's definitely here now isn't it? The leaves are falling and beautiful awesome colour I think again this year isn't it?
1: And, and we've got the rain now, Pisa, which we've been waiting for so long, and it's come down in Deloge's in, deluges in the, last, the last few days, certainly.
0: Definitely. I think I woke up a couple of times last night, and I reckon it was raining all through the night last night, and certainly on the roads this morning, it was floods everywhere, but the ground certainly needs it, doesn't it? The water table needs replenishing, and nice to have some cold weather at last.
1: Indeed, and this all comes on 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 the track of the you know this Met Office warning that uh, we've had one of the obviously the, the driest, warm sorry the seventh warmest October on records, which in itself is is. Quite amazing in a way, because how mm. how obviously back in July we had those record temperatures as well. But uh, I suppose first of all, Peter, we we perhaps we we better do a little bit of an apology that we are a little bit late with our uh, Diggit podcast this month.
0: Yeah, I suppose so. So sorry, everybody. Yeah, we we, we holiday season and um, illnesses have <laughs> kept us busy for the last <laughs> week, so we're a, a little bit behind schedule this week. But we hope you bear with us and enjoy the show anyway.
1: Indeed, and yeah, we're back, and yeah, and with those uh, those exceptionally high temperatures, I mean, we've you know the garden is ablaze. I mean, I came back from holiday just over two weeks ago, Peter, and there hadn't been a frost whilst I was away for no. two weeks and it just looked like the garden hadn't changed at all obviously we'd had a bit of rain, a little bit of wind lots of leaves around but things are just looking so exotic the cameras are in flower still my cosmos is looking amazing uh, roses are still in flower um, you're not you not my you're hanging baskets
0: husband... are still going, I've still got lobelia yeah, in yeah. flower and geraniums in flower, it's yeah. amazing, it really is a very late season this year isn't it but I suppose, but well, it yeah. hopefully it'll cool down now for a bit longer and um, I won't have to cut my lawn again although picking the leaves up with a lawnmower is my little trick. Uh, I, I'm very lazy yep. I don't get the rake out, I just get the lawnmower out and give the, uh, the lawn a high, a high cut but pick all the leaves up at the same time but I'm mean, going have to wait for it to dry out again before I do that because when the leaves are wet they don't get picked up very well by the lawnmower but anyway, mm. what's Mm. What's in the news this week then, Chris?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose we, we, we're we going back to what we can be... Yeah, going out, what's on stuff. We, um, of course, there's no major flower shows at this time of year. It all gets a bit quiet, doesn't it? However... Yep. Um, a lot of gardeners, you know, like to create lovely sort of seasonal wreaths and such like. So it's a good time, really, if you can, to, to find your local garden centre or nursery, or if you're in part of a, a WI group, perhaps to see if there's some, you know, wreath making demos around, so you can uh, get creative with yep. all the, the the berries and hollies and such like, or you know, or maybe dare <laughs> us a cheat and have a look on YouTube and have a look what's out on there. But lots of very Artistic and creative people out there who, you know, will love the, to share their passion. So that's one thing you can be doing over the next, uh, next few weeks as we start running up to, the, you know, the, the month of December and, uh, and Christmas.
0: Yeah, that's very true because I know uh, one of the things that I always think look really nice is um, really good use for Leyland is chop back mm. your Leyland and turn that into a wreath. Because the obviously the foliage lasts for a good long time, and it's a bit different from holly.
1: Indeed, it's a nice, it's a nice contrasting colour as well, isn't it? If you've got, it's a nice green and uh, obviously strong growing, and uh, yeah, we'll set off your your holly and your yew and all the other sort of things you might want to use there. I tend to like to use things like uh, uh, a little bit of a cube, but, you know, the the spotted laurel that looks quite nice and bright. Yes, that's a and, good idea. Uh, and it's it is colourful, and I've got quite a vigorous plant in my garden, so it doesn't. Uh, I don't prune it during the during the summer. I wait until you know, early December to to take a few pieces off, and the plant doesn't mind it. And obviously, I'm getting, getting a few bits of uh, of uh, attractive natural foliage at, at the same time. That's a brilliant idea, and
0: I mean, certainly my laurel hedge just grows like anything, even though I don't care for it at all. And <laughs> it's, a, it's it's one of those good plants to chop back, isn't it? That's it, and um, it is indeed. What, what other things we got going on at the moment?
1: Yeah, so um, we've got a couple of diary dates, uh, Peter. Uh, Monday, the the seventh of November. And I spotted this. I thought it was quite quite a nice talk over in Rewilding. It's over at uh, Rewilding at Rural Enfield, obviously Enfield, home of Capital Manor, uh, the very famous horticultural college there. But they're they're doing a an interesting uh, look at the, the uh, explaining how the combination of the natural flood um, management and rewilding is helping to improve the, the nat- natural habitats in the, uh, the the Enfield Chase area. It's, okay. uh, it's an online event, um, which is good, um, between six and seven p.m. So uh, we'll, we'll put details upon the on the show notes somehow to find out more in information. But it's basically organised by the London Garden Trust uh, mm-hmm. the org. So that's that's quite good and yeah, and I think it's rewilding is sort of the buzzword at the moment, isn't it? Um we're well, also cert- sort of thinking about it. And then a little
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean the, the local I'm to say floodplain down on the River Neen here in Northampton, um I'm to say mm-hmm. five years ago probably 10 now, um, they dug a load of what I thought to start off with when I first saw it were just going to be like little streams effectively running through this old floodplain. But now, mm-hmm. several years on, it's just a mass of reeds and wildlife and you get hundreds of birds in there and it, it's it's done really, really well. And I guess the idea is is that the water gets to seep back into the... Water course mm-hmm. uh, from when the flood uh, the floods happen, and obviously in the spring and the summer and the autumn, there's just enough water in the sort of streams that they've cut to keep everything alive and growing. And yeah, it, it does really, really mm. well and looks really attractive. So I'd definitely be interested mm. to learn a bit more about that. And what else we got in the diary? Yeah. yeah so uh, let
1: literally- me in the month uh, Thursday the 17th of November um, Gardens of My Life with Arabella Lennox Boyd now a lot of our listeners might know the name Arabella Lennox Boyd because she's a very prestigious uh, um, uh, garden designer I I was looking a little bit at her uh, CV, she's created over 400 c- gardens over uh, 50 years, wow. which is quite amazing itself. But she's yeah, um, but she's also created them for the for royalty, for aristocrats, including Sir Terence Conran, and pop stars, including Sting. So <laughs> she's well. Respected in the the gardening world, um, okay. She's been to the the RHS Chelsea Show, so it sounds a really good talk. And again, it's a it's a, a streamed live uh, production as well, um, and it's all part of the National Garden Scheme. You know, the good old NGS. Yeah, the yellow. Books. Uh, they have an annual. That's it. Well, they have a, a 2022 annual lecture, and this is their main uh, event in a way, and it sounds really good. And um, yeah, so again, we'll put some details on the on the show notes. But again, it's going to be uh, uh, going to be from 7 p.m. on the, that that day, and it'll all be live streamed. And, and there is a course a small cost to to be part of it, but it sounds like a really interesting and fascinating uh, tour of her amazing uh, works and photographs and sketches across her her, her career. Brilliant, that sounds good. Okay.
0: So I see just down the road from our music creators, who Chilton Music Therapy, who very kindly let us, created the music for our, our show, down the road from them is Amersham, and Amersham have won Britain in Bloom.
1: They have, Peter, yeah, and they were announced as the overall winner um, of the RHS, the Royal Horticultural Society's, uh, Britain and Bloom Awards um, which is great because uh, I think they've they've had a really good sort of back back record of, of track record of being consistent and yep. looking at the sort of press release they use about a thousand volunteers um, and they've helped to plant over eight and a half thousand trees in the area but of course it's all about you know spectacle with Britain and Bloom it's all about flowers too so lots of wonderful uh, colour used there as well so yeah I mean, it's really good that it's, you know, it's uh, obviously uh, fairly local to the garden centre here, but also it's uh, um, quite a, you know, it's a real spirited community effort. I think that's what Britain in Bloom really was designed to do, and I think it does it with great uh, buckets of uh, enthusiasm as well. So well well done to to Arnisham for their success.
0: Yeah, it certainly does. And I mean, they must have had to work doubly hard with this summer's weather and the fact everything was drying out. I bet they were doing masses of watering to keep all the bedding alive but and equally the um Mm. trees as well would have need needed some water over the summer so hopefully they've all managed to take root and um eight and a half thousand trees that's a lot of planting isn't it but
1: it is a lot of lot of aftercare too. So yeah, absolutely right. And uh, yeah, so well done to them and and, and to the ongoing, because it is an ongoing project, isn't it? You know, you, you plant a tree, but uh, hey, you need to you. Tree lots of support over the next uh, you know few years to get it really established and of course with the the seasonal planting they do for these uh, bill and bloom you know putting bulbs in at this time of the year of course for next spring it's a you know it's a twelve month commitment isn't it to to keep yeah. these sort of standards high to win this this gold uh, this gold uh, medal that's well, really good and,
0: uh, and a bit off topic but I had a really interesting meeting this week with Simon from empathy plant works now obviously you know mm-hmm. plant works do the mycorrhizal fungi and he was saying yeah. that i had no idea but originally this was a project that came out of canterbury university where one of the doctors i'm going to say professors was um sort of researching mm-hmm. how about plants and how uh, they take up nutrients and obviously they established that there's certain fungi that live on the roots but One of the things that they've realised since working all this out is that if you plant a tree or a shrub or any sort of plant and give it some mycorrhizal Mm. fungi in the root system at the time of planting, if it's going into a soil that doesn't have any of that helpful fungi, the establishment of the plant is that much quicker and that much better that when droughts and things like that happen the plant is far more able to survive than the one that Mm -hmm. hasn't been planted with the fungi. And I would never really thought, I mean, Mm -hmm. you always think, from our point of view as plant growers, we understand that, and the fact that the fungus is, you think, must already be in the soil, therefore not always needed. But reality is, is just a little bit of that sort of friendly fungi Helps the establishment of of the plants so much better, and you hope that with a sort of number of trees like that, that they have managed to use some mycorrhizal fungi to help establish the plants, and that will have helped them over the summer with the watering.
1: Mm. It's it's interesting, Peter, um, when you're saying that. That I think the, the the emphasis is going on more for mycorrhizal treatment of roots rather than encouraging us to put lots of things like bone meal in because they found that the the, the amount of yeah. phosphate levels in our soils generally is pretty good. Yeah. And so we only add that to embellish it, to add it. Um, you know, perhaps was garden centres we, we think it's, you know, it's it's the essential item of, of plant establishment. But actually, uh, yeah, some good compost to help maintain moisture around the soil and some friendly fungi, some root grow or something similar is perhaps as important if not more important now and especially as you're saying for plants establishing because of the the problem now with potential global warming and drought you know a good strong root system sets the plant up for for the rest of its life doesn't it mm, no it really does yeah no it's good it's all good stuff and it's, it's a nice reminder to our uh our listeners that how important that and, it, and it's not expensive it's not an expensive product it's, it's easy to apply um yeah it's just putting into the mindset of doing it isn't it and obviously trying to educate um, our our gardeners lot of our new gardeners now that how important the uh, friendly fungi actor uh, is in uh, in establishing our, our new plants yeah no definitely so gardeners
0: are losing their right to the parliamentary voice i, uh, I read mr appleby mm. is writing about um what's this about then chris
1: yeah, this is a, an article in Amateur Gardening um, just a couple of weeks ago now, and uh, I've seen Matthew Appleby is obviously well respected in in horticulture, uh, quite an investigative journalist, and yeah. he basically just explains that a couple of decades ago there was a an all party parliamentary gardening and horticulture group. Um, this is two decades ago, you know, the time when, you know, good old ground forces on the TV and stuff, and they got a lot of interest on the part of the politicians to, to help gardeners. Right. And they obviously did lots of, lots of things. They went to visit gardening shows and things, and they were very out there. However, in recent years, by the sounds of things, this this has all changed now, and it's been overtaken by the rhs chaired Ornamental Horticulture Roundtable, which... As, as Matthew sort of says, they sort of meet secretly, discuss uh, pressing issues on the agenda of uh, of obviously work with the RHS. So right. from being a very open uh, situation, it's become a little bit more of a closed door for the RHS. And I think the, the problem is that, of course, there's so many pressing issues at the moment, of course, the big peak debate being the main one, yes. that uh, our gardeners being slightly overlooked now looking through the eyes of the RHS who obviously have their sustainability campaigns, they have a, obviously to keep their members happy they want to be, seen to be being green and all things, which is fine. However, we've got the horticultural trade, you know, us as garden centres, nurseries, who are on the other end of the scale, who obviously are seeing peat or the removal of peat from our industry as a major setback, um, because obviously yeah. the peat-free re- replacements are just not fit for purpose in many cases. So I think it's a big debate that really are we are we being well served in the, the parliamentary side of things. Now, in view of the massive first uh, <laughs> rule, because we've had parliamentary MPs, MPs and Prime Ministers over the last few months, that's probably not surprising, but I think we need uh, we need a little bit more of a, a grounding now to get a little bit of a sense of what's going on. And a, a better representation for the likes of the horticultural trade, the HTA, who obviously know that a lot of their members still want the use of re, reduced numbers of peat of based products so they can grow certain things. I mean like we were saying the other podcast piece, you know, like growing ericaceous plants, growing mushroom crops. Yeah, um, and your using Venus fly traps and... And... Hmm, Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Right. yeah at, sure. at
0: the end of the day, I suppose the other question is, is if our European friends over the river, uh, Mm. uh, over the channel, should I say, Um, (laughs) are able to grow all of their plants in peat, what happens when we want to import them? Because presumably as garden centres, we're not going to be able to sell those plants because they're in peat and we can't sell peat. So are we going to have to then repot everything into peat-free composts, which would just be absolutely... ridiculous, that won't work, I mean it'll be uneconomical Mm -hmm. Um, do we just end up selling bare root plants in the future and I can't see that working either, I mean pansies that have been plug grown and what have you, mass produced in say some of the Dutch sort of growing houses Mm -hmm. I I just wonder how it's all going to work, I mean maybe just my ignorance and lack of research is. But I don't even know whether we're banning peat sales in the garden centre industry yet on the 1st of January 2024 or whether we're banning them on Christmas or 31st of December. I mean, We don't even know yeah. that. And I mean, it might just yeah. be I, miss, I missed that sort of update from the HTA or the, the GCA or one of our trade bodies. It doesn't seem very... Thought through yet. And like you say, if we're now Mm -hmm. taking parliamentary decisions that have been all made behind closed doors by a body that does represent a small sector of the garden centre industry, I'm not trying to say the RHS Mm -hmm. are a a bad body at all. They're a wonderful foundation. However, they're Mm -hmm. not growers. They're not the industry as a whole. They're a, a small sector of the industry and i think if you're going to get a balanced viewpoint you've got to take a balanced input of where the ideas are coming from
1: i would absolutely yeah i'd absolutely agree with you peter That's you've got it spot on there i think that's it. it's, it's a balanced approach and the problem of course is we know we know from our customers and we know obviously all the new gardeners coming on board uh from from covid times that uh you know that the compost is the start is the building block if you have success with your plants your seeds in good compost then you are away if you're having permanent regular disappointments you're going to be pissed off and I think that's the real problem isn't it the disappointment factor of the, the new gardener with this problem with the, the peat issues we face Mm. and uh, you know we need to i think we need to see some improvements there i'm sure that's behind the scenes that's probably going on as we speak from our growers of uh, sorry our producers of compost but i think that's the thing but if 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 we can get a little bit more of a a better better picture and a a more structured vision of what's going to be happening then i'm sure we'll all be a little bit more happy and and less confused perhaps
0: well that's it and i mean we're not talking I mean, the likes of Scots and Westland and Bordnum they're not small companies. They're big, big, big multinational companies. And ultimately, the UK gardening industry is a good hobby sort of sector to have as a a, a, a keen interest for the public. And you just think, well, if you're going to, effectively stop us using peat as a growing medium then fine but we needed to have found an alternative and i mean people who generally are growing plants and trying to make vegetables to grow to eat those sort of people mm. aren't the sort of people who are going out willingly trashing the countryside and uh, sort of pulling up hedgerows. <laughs> We're growing things. That, that's what we like doing. and exactly. to, uh, to stifle <laughs> yeah. us like this, yeah. it just seems yeah. a little bit interesting. Yeah. And I yeah. wonder what, the, <laughs> what it's going to do to our hobby and our business. I mean, it's a bit worrying, isn't it?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think one final thought, Peter, on this. I and mean, I'm just again, I'm just uh, reading Matthew Appleby's r- report here. He's he said about the RHS that it's a membership organisation and has no mandate to represent all UK gardeners. However, of course, the government do, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? You've got a small, obviously important and um, quite uh, influential little group, and I think the whole bigger picture needs to be looked at. So, fingers crossed that'll happen Um, hopefully yes well
0: that's it that's (laughs) soon that's why we're a democracy Um, chris we've got to keep on hoping that we can have a debate we we have (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) yes yeah
0: excellent and our friends at garden organic have been in the headlines as well haven't they they've got a well they they've got a new landlord i suppose is the best way to describe it
1: that's right, Peter, yeah. Um, obviously Garden Organics over at Wrighton uh, uh, near, near Um obviously well known for their, their, their Heritage Seed Library, which of course we, we chatted uh, to their main librarian, didn't we, back at yeah. the beginning of the...
0: Katrina, the that was a brilliant interview, I really enjoyed that and I had no idea... Well, she helped us understand how sort of you grow seeds and stop them crossing with each other, and all, it was a
1: yeah really good interview that one.
0: I really enjoyed that.
1: Fascinating, yeah. So so basically, what's happened is the, um, the the garden organics have had obviously a bit of a financial difficulties back in 2019. They ended up having to to, to sell their entire 10 acre headquarters to Carpentry University, and now they're there to help reduce its running costs. Now the charity. Has become a tenant, tenant of the university and is basically a landlord of the businesses. So, so they're basically still there doing their thing. They've got a new one-acre demo garden uh, which you can view. I um, think you have to book to to look round. So it's it's in good safe hands. It's had, just had to obviously reinvent itself in these these financially you know challenging times. And this article was in the uh, the uh, Garden News, and I think it's. It's quite a strong case that, you know, they want to succeed and they want to continue. And uh, they've got 20,000 members, so they've got a good, strong following, which is which is great to hear. No, that's
0: really good news. It would have been such a shame to lose them because, I think, mean, it's a very positive message and it's nice and positive mm. to hear they managed to survive. And they didn't crumble in the hard times of Covid.
1: Indeed, yes, and, and going back to their wonderful seed heritage library, I mean, just remind our listeners. I mean, they basically have, have preserved over 800 varieties of endangered uh, European vegetables. So, I mean, they have a huge genetic store of, of of a seed library there. So that in itself, you know, needs to be preserved, doesn't it? It would be such a shame to, for that to be lost to uh, to financial reason. But obviously, yeah.
0: No, massively, and like you say, sort of, the, the it always brings a smile to my face. That some of the looking back at some of the vegetables that we've grown from them, and how mm-hmm. some are incredibly successful, and other ones weren't quite so successful. But yeah, it's it's just a massive resource of old mm-hmm. plants that not everyone can get to enjoy. But it, 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 obviously, if you make get in touch with them, they're always happy to help, and um. Share their knowledge and sort mm. of seeds with you, aren't they? they it's a really good yeah. and positive uh, mm. charity to be, yeah, to be involved with.
1: Yeah, and, and most importantly, I suppose that wonderful genetic gene pool of uh, vegetables, which I'm sure other seed companies, you know, in the UK and further, you know, further afield, you know, are so reliant on because it is really a you know a, a basically a, a stop, you know, a whole. Uh, what's the word? I think I'm trying to think of it's yeah it is a, like a back catalogue isn't it of, of everything which is, has come and gone and um, so that to that to be in a situation which is accessible by other seed companies uh, is such a finite resource and must, must must be preserved. No
0: definitely and at the garden centre for those of you who haven't been in recently last few weeks we've been working hard on the house plant area and we've had a bit of a jiggle around got a, a few more stands in because house plants are really popular these days and it's a a lovely department i always think to walk through and enjoy and i notice um we've got a, a lot more green foliage plants in again which is um i i, I like Swiss cheese plants, I always have done. I think they're great, but there's a lot more variety than just Swiss cheese plants in the garden centre, obviously. <laughs> and uh, um, I noticed um, in the news there's uh, a, a new brand hitting the, the the headlines at the moment called Butanic or Butanic Lifestyle. Um, it, reading the article, it reminded mm. me of back when I was in charge of the house plants, and there was a product called Ceramis that was bought mm-hmm. out, I'm going to say, back in uh where are we? It must have been late 80s, early 90s. And it was a, I don't know whether it was a forerunner to hydroponics or what, because I think hydroponics, where are they? They've been mm-hmm. about since, what, the 70s, is it, Chris? 60s, 70s?
1: Yeah, seventies, early eighties. Yeah, um, I, th- I think I think, think that the the ceramis was like a sort of a slightly different departure as a slightly more refined product. Um, yeah. They all sort of work on the same sort of basis, though. So you get a, a nice sealed big pot, fill it up with this this ceramis or uh, this uh, expanded light clay aggregate, um, sometimes called leaker, okay. um, which are quite large, and then you basically prepare the roots of your plants and the roots would be basically washed of their their compost, whether the the compost is peat based or peat free whichever and then you would then convert the plant from growing in a an in inert compost into these clay modules with uh with moisture and special plant feed and mm. when it well, i remember in the late 70s piece it was really popular and the great virtue is you had like a little um little water meter um
0: it was a contained pot wasn't it with like a a water meter and you used to watch the red line go slowly down and then top it up with a bit exactly, more water yeah. and my mother grew yeah. a say a bird's nest fern in her bathroom in this mm. big white pot and to be fair mm-hmm. the fern did very very well i was very surprised yeah. and yeah. T- it's nice to see a simple growing medium like that being brought back into the market because i think that is the trouble with a lot of house plants is that People either, as they say, kill them with kindness and are watering them, watering them every mm, couple of days, true. and suddenly it's now a bog yep. plant, and <laughs> the the cactus doesn't <laughs> grow in bogs. <laughs> that's what's killed it, yeah, or, or yeah. the other the other extreme, which was um, my speciality, which was. Uh, always trying to grow spathiphyllums without you know, water, and um, they <laughs> they didn't enjoy that either. But that, 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 that's no, life. No, and, no. Uh, as you learn to look after plants, you pick up on the tips of like when the leaves are the tips of the leaves are going brown and dying back, well that mm. might be something to do with the watering or whether the leaves on a, on yep. your basil plant are all flopping down and the stems have you mm. know, curled over and it doesn't look the same as it did a couple that of days it, ago, yeah. might need some water. I mean plants are very yeah. good at showing us that they're not happy but ultimately it's far better to grow them mm. so they never hit those conditions and if this new product does that, well Fantastic, isn't it? That would be a really good.
1: Yeah, and and I, and I think I think it's going to maybe attract a few people who are still a little bit wary of of overwatering, underwatering plants, because with this hydroculture method, you you can't overwater because basically you, you're following something very uh, very pedestrian. When it tells you it needs watering, you water it, and when it when it when it's sufficiently watered, it tells you. So it, it can't be any easier. And the plants themselves produce obviously water roots rather than compost roots. And if people are thinking, oh, well, they, you've heard this sort of before, think about how, you know, at school you used to propagate your things like your spider plants or your other yeah. sort of house plants here. Uh, Pavocantias in, in a in a jam a jar of water. water, exactly the same principle. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. As long as you keep that water fresh, you know, you it's the same sort of process, just given a little bit of a uh, you know a bit of high tech now, and with you know, obviously these professional nutrients to make it a little bit easier as well. So I'm very encouraged. I mean, I think one guy. Garden centre, um, Ayletts garden centre over in in Hertfordshire. they've they're uh, they're giving it a go in their uh, their plant area. But it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But I have noticed on my my visits around garden centres over the last few months that you do, you are seeing more plants just growing in water. Um, yep. So maybe this is the start of a slightly new trend, and, uh, and and you know, long may it continue. And if you're thinking about propagating your your indoor plants through the winter, you know, a, you know, jam jar of water is sometimes a really good place to start um, mm. on your propagation
0: skills. Yes, it is a good point. I mean, hopefully the product is nice and easy because having seen like the cu- cucumber houses in Holland and the tomato houses which are grown purely on hydroponics and you can see these sort of blocks of what look like rock wool and big reservoirs Mm. and pumps that sort of do all the work for them i mean uh, that's a massively intense system that needs computers to control it hopefully these are the other end of the scale where similar to the ceramics, you just looked at the red needle and if it said, I need water, you topped it up. <laughs> and off your plants went again.
1: So. Yeah, I, I, that's it, Peter. I'm just, just checking, actually, yeah, Jovado UK, who are distributing the, the this, this, this product, say that the, uh, the lava rock granules um, they use give the plant more strength and oxygen than standard hydro granules. So they've obviously made a bit of an improvement on that over the year, so that's where it's probably is its difference from ceramis and, and from Leica which we mentioned earlier. So, Excellent. yeah, it sounds a really good product. So, uh, we'll we'll mm. see. I
0: have to dig some of that out and see, uh, give it a trial, see how it goes.
1: And Peter, yeah, I was looking at the uh, the gardens, which continue to bring in the, the numbers of of, of uh, visitors, especially you know gardening themed ones as well. There's some interesting figures actually. Um, mm. uh, the ones for paid for attractions so 11 venues with gardens or horticultural elements came in the top 20 interestingly okay. the top of the list was the royal botanic gardens at kew yep uh, that was in first place uh followed by in third rhs gardens at wisley and then Trentham gardens with their that's wonderful gardens over in in stoke and trent in fifth but um it's interesting isn't it? i mean this time of year um i mean we've seen the last of the late color now but i mean a lot of you know local gardens to us the garden center here like Stowe, are on our doorstep so sometimes you get wonderful opportunities to go and look around at you know last minute uh, winter color or the start of winter color with autumn you know with winter um, stems and such like on on plants as well as the the last of the the leaves mm. um but these are really good Interesting figures, I and mean, it's just showing that despite obviously what was going on with COVID, people are certainly getting out there and going back to enjoying the uh, the increase in number of visitors across the board. Um, they reckon that actually forty one percent increase from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty. So uh, that's wow. all good. It's all good news, isn't
0: it? No, that's interesting, and yeah, I mean it always. I think it's always so nice to, like you say, go out and about, and it's nice to have a little walk around and uh, look at old gardens and new gardens and, I mean, places like Kewa, obviously from here it's a little bit of a trek to go to, but when you see the pagoda Mm -hmm. there or the greenhouses, I mean, they're they're just amazing. And certainly so many of the places that you can go and see, like the parks and what have you, are free. And it's just I know a lot of the museums are free, but equally... When there's so much open space that you can go and enjoy mm. as well, that, that that I mean, the yeah. Peak District, just go for a walk up there and walk up the top of a hill, and you get the most amazing views. And it is, it's it's amazing. It's brilliant, isn't it? And like you say, sort of nice yeah, to see is- that, that gardens are well up there on the choice of things for people to do. Yeah, and just thinking about that, uh, visiting gardens, Chris. I mean, this time of the year, you often see. So sort of spectacular light shows being put on. I know around us we've got obviously Wadston and Blenheim Palace that both do it. And I noticed you found mm-hmm. another one um, in Leonard's Sea or Leonard's Lee. I, it's not somewhere oh. I'd heard of well, before. Being, yeah,
1: down in over in, in Sussex. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So that's that's an that's an amazing garden down in uh, in Sussex and well known for its rhododendrons and its evergreens. So it's got lots of structure in its garden. But they yeah. they're putting on a wonderful light show, um, which I think is the first time they've done that. But yes, you've got a lot of the RHS gardens as well. Uh, Rosemore down in in Cornwall and sorry in Devon, and we've yeah. also got obviously the the RHS gardens at. Um, uh, wisely too which obviously got these it? amazing light shows on mm. have you
0: ever seen have you ever been to one chris because i'll be honest i haven't yet it's something that i've been meaning to do for the last few years but they're not cheap uh, many of these attractions and you just think mm, no it's a bit of a journey but have you actually seen one yeah. and enjoyed one yet
1: i've seen uh, i haven't actually been to one I've seen lots of wonderful photographs from from Watson, from I think one of our, our members of, of, of staff at the, of the garden centre quite a yep. few people Within our, our teams have, have been and go back year after year, so there is a, definitely a draw. Um, and obviously, with with COVID, I think that obviously with yeah So it's on the list, certainly. I nice <laughs> that this, this We'll, this, we'll this have to make week.
0: more of an effort this year, Chris, and make sure we book somewhere up, yeah. and then we can compare notes and see where's best. Uh, Indeed, uh, yes.
1: We'll. we'll <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Cool. But, uh, yeah, a good, a good exciting way of seeing a garden in a totally different light, literally.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely and just thinking about lights um obviously very close to bonfire night now and i know historically i love a good mm. fireworks show and always try and put something on mm. for the uh, friends and neighbours but something that i sort of always like to remind people is if you're having a good bonfire to try and build it the day or so before you light it so you're moving all mm. of this stuff out and because you know, hedgehogs have obviously now the weather's starting to cool down mm-hmm. we'll be looking for places to hibernate in the winter and obviously they like places yeah. like bonfire piles and you just think it's such a shame when um mm-hmm. you you build your bonfire pile up all year and with the idea of lighting it a bonfire night but if you can just move everything around mm-hmm. and even if it's only 10 foot away from yeah. where it was it just gets anything that is living yeah. in there the chance to run away and survive another year yeah.
1: I I could totally agree, and I think I think that the issue, of course, of course, is because it is so mild. I mean, I I don't if, if hedgehogs are even thinking about you know um, going into sort of any sort of hibernation ro- mode at the moment. That's I think that's the problem, isn't it? So, yeah, double double checking and leaving it to the last minute to build your your bonfire, whether that's you know to obviously enjoy you know firework night or for for just general garden. Hiding, which we do you know right through the winter so if you are creating a, a new a new pile make sure it's uh, it's done and, and burnt perhaps on the day before yeah so you, you, you're double checking it as well i think it's very very important for our our our, our hedgehogs and also on, on the subject of hedgehogs peter the the british hedgehog preservation society mm. last year launched its national litter pick Okay. Um, to help hedgehogs and babies. So basically, it's encouraging lots of schools and colleges to sign up uh, in teams and collect the most litter by the end of this month, by the by November the thirtieth. They they did this last year and they had over a thousand participants. So sounds like it went really, really well. So we'll we'll put the link on there. But it's basically the um, uh, it's uh, all the W's hedgehog friendly campus dot co dot uk and it's basically to get rid of all the, the nasty um litter which of course can be a problem for for our uh, beloved hedgehogs so uh, getting rid of lots of plastic and things which we we don't want around them which could possibly cause harm uh, and movement in their uh, in their discovery of our gardens fantastic
0: yeah it's uh, such good slug eaters. we can all we can do is encourage them and I see British Garden Centres is now up to 62 sites, so not quite as big yes. as um, uh, Dobby's yet, I don't think, are they? Or are Dobby's? Oh, well, yeah. And then you've got Blue Diamond, who yeah, are we're obviously. Going, we're going back to the... Sorry. Much, wish. much
1: bigger. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, no, we're also into the, yeah, the, almost into the territory of the Y situation, are we? The the growth of the, the British Garden Centre group. Um hmm but uh, Marefield is um, garden centre, that's, it's just close to, I think it's it two miles from Marefield West Yorkshire, so it was re- formerly known as Whiteley's Garden Centre um, okay. again, uh, that family run I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, you know, it just shows that, I mean, these are really nice independent little run garden centres which have obviously been given a bit of a new lease of life under the uh, uh, the British Garden Centre group, and uh, yeah, I mean, it from what I can see and what I can read, it's it's looking looking good that they're obviously uh, developing and want to maintain it, being part of this 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 BGC family yep. and uh, obviously making it a nice strong garden centre within its group. So it's interesting. I mean, we we when we're on chatting, Peter, on this podcast, we do go from pillar to post, subject wise. But I think it is important, isn't it, to to get a sense that it is a you know the the the, the, the business of retail is ever growing it's ever changing so hopefully if we can try and report these sort of stories I think it's only good that uh, there's a positive you know from all the, the negativeness of the world at the moment especially in garden in centre world time. Well yeah
0: retailing is definitely a changing place isn't it the high street is mm-hmm. massively changed over the last few years but yeah I, I think at the end yeah. of the day hopefully they'll do well and I mean, it's a two and a half acre mm-hmm. site so it's never going to be okay. a Benz or a a real showstopper of a site, I doubt. But equally, it no. might have some nice little quirks. And if you're living up in Yorkshire, then go and give them a look around. It might it might be worth a visit.
1: And also, at the end of the day, you know, they've obviously got a loyal band of customers who have been following that garden centre over many years. So to know it's going into safe hands is is very reassuring, I'm sure, for, for all concerned. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it fuels the, the fact that, uh, you know, garden centres, you know, can reinvent themselves as as we know.
0: And just thinking about seeds, Chris, obviously we've, mm-hmm. there's an article in Amateur Gardening about potential problems that we're going to have in the UK. For the gills are concerned that they might not be able to get much money maker seed or gardener's delight. I mean, they're two seeds that you mm-hmm. just think, well, they're English, aren't they? But then I guess what we don't realise is how much seed is imported. And I learnt recently that Canada grows a... Something I'd never realised, Canada grows a lot of the world's mustard or mustard seed, should I say. And Uh, yeah, I mean, again, you think as a child, you grow mustard and cress and it's fun and it comes out of a packet mm -hmm. that you bought in a garden centre and you don't particularly think it's come all the way from Canada. And obviously the tomato seeds are grown over in Europe and now with Brexit, potentially we're going to have issues getting them in. It's interesting, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, I mean, sure. it, it's certainly... Yeah. Home. Well, I guess the simple thing is we can all move to Garden Organic and go uh, with the heritage seed seed varieties and
1: mm-hmm.
0: won't be quite F1 types of plants that we're growing, but still very, very ah. nice plants and possibly a lot more flavour and a lot, <laughs> a, a, a lot more good reasons yeah, to grow. And we'll be supporting our <laughs> yeah. English economy a bit more as well, so... Yeah, interesting. Definitely, yeah, yeah.
1: Interesting it times. Yeah, isn't it? I mean, it is. Yeah, and I think it was. Yes, this the, the extra. You know, the, the post Brexit issues we're, we're finding now, and it's all about yeah the extra C test testing, which has to be taken part and has to take place before the um to stop all these nasty viruses entering the UK. I mean we in the way we we defend our own borders now, so in a way we are controlling what is coming in. So I suppose at the end of the day we're gonna ensure that we keep our biosecurity nice and healthy, which is the most yep. important thing, isn't it, at the end of the day with uh with crops. Uh however Thinking about those two varieties, Peter. I mean, Garden's Delight and Money Maker. I mean, Garden's Delight, yes, for flavour, for, for growing, but Money Maker is. I mean, it's just so such an old variety. I mean, I know it's it's popular because its name, but so many more improved varieties, like you were saying, probably from the the Seed Heritage Library, we could grow or some of, some of the better F one hybrids now. Um, I mean, Money Maker, if that. I'm sure it won't disappear, but I think Garner's delight must never disappear. It's such a an important variety in the uh, in what we grow uh, every summer.
0: Mm. And it's a nice tomato. At the end of the day, it, it does well. It's an easy one to grow, mm. and it'll be a shame if next few years we do struggle to get it. So jobs for the month Chris what do we need to start thinking about doing it must be autumn wouldn't well, it autumn's, <laughs> with, as we know leaves are falling so it must be coming into root season isn't it soon it is yes yeah, thank
1: goodness we're into the, the planting season now uh, albeit a little bit stalled because of the mild weather, but uh, yeah, I mean we've got this wonderful window of opportunity now to plant deciduous plants. You know, those plants which drop their leaves naturally, which could can right through to the to the spring until March. Um, my feeling is, and I think generally in the gardening world, we 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 are all sort of Singing from the same proverbial hymn sheet here, that you know, try and get your plants in by the end of the year or the end of January, latest. Uh, yep. Working with the weather, of course, working with our soils, of course. We've had a say, a lot of amounts of large amounts of rain in recent uh, days, so just work with it. Make sure you clear your areas from perennial weeds, if you're putting a new hedge line in, make sure you clear all the- see all the existing vegetation, um, get everybody uh, perennial and annual weeds, obviously prep the soil, work a bit of organic matter in, a bit of compost, and then have a look at what you're gonna be planting. Obviously get your orders in to get your, your plants uh from the your nursery. Um I mean obviously we start dispatching uh, Buckingham nurseries here from, you know, the middle of November. But of course everything is being delayed at the moment because of course it's been so mild. Well I
0: mean this week this week uh in the packing shed, we were starting... We had the first delivery of root wrap roses, and obviously Mm we wrap them all up and put them into the sort of root container, uh, plastic tubes, uh, so they've they've got some compost around them. Uh, And and that's normally done, I'm going to say, a month ago. And by now we should be dispatching bare-root hedging, but we just haven't got a single thing in yet. I mean, it's just so late this year, Mm -hmm. isn't it? It's a remarkable season, but hopefully... It yeah. won't go. No, I mean, they often say that if you get a glorious summer, you'll get a very cold winter. So maybe that's going to be the. That's what they say. In a couple of weeks' time, it'll be minus five and we'll all be shivering again. But mm. at the moment, it's. Indeed. So I, I guess mm. the the thing to think about from that is that if you can, get your trenches prepared now. Whilst the ground is nice and yeah. moist, and like you say, sort of it's not yep. frozen mm-hmm. solid, or equally, give it a couple of days if it's been really heavily rained on. Because digging in the mud is always fun, but it's always ten times harder if it's a quagmire, yeah. isn't it? And, and yeah, so get, get get the trenches prepared now, or if it's just a apple tree or something like that, you're planting. Dig your mm-hmm. hole, put a load of well-rotted farmyard manure in. And then, mm-hmm. when the plants are available, you'll be able to get them in in the soil, nice and easily.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think Peter, what we tend to recommend, especially on if you're on clay soils like on Buckingham Clay, try and not dig too deep. Go a good a good spade's depth, but you know, dig wider. So dig dig a much more shallower. Uh, trench, um, but work the soil, improve the soil in, in that, that sort of top spade of of, of, uh, of soil. And because if you go to your subsoil, it's usually pretty claggy, and the trouble is when you enter your, your subsoil, you get very little in the way of plant nutrients and goodness as well, so it's, it seems sort of counterintuitive to go too deep, and of course it saves you back as well. Mm. Excellent
0: and what should we be propagating because this mm-hmm. this time of year
1: we start cutting is it hard hardwood cuttings that's it yes yeah they're slow but they're usually the, the the easiest so um and again if you know if you've got things like dogwoods and uh and willows you can take obviously a few cuttings from them at this time of year i mean willow especially uh roots Remarkably well, I mean, it'll be rooted by, by the spring. Um, and if you're obviously buying in your, your bare-rooted uh, dogwoods uh, and willows, obviously we normally recommend you cut the plants back by a third. That bit you cut off the plant makes wonderful propagation material, so you are upcycling your cuttings, your if you like.
0: That's a good idea.
1: I'd never really thought of
0: that. Yeah, because obviously you've got to cut the, the trees or the saplings back a little bit to make it mm-hmm. easier for them to root and they're not working too hard in the next spring but yeah why not put them in the soil to do a dogwood cutting is it sort of dip it in a bit of hormone powder and pop it in the ground or would you put it into a pot first
1: no no i mean dogwoods and willows and and maybe hazel because hazel responds in the same way no i I wouldn't even worry about uh, using any hormone rooting powders they they don't really need it to be honest with you just just Prepare a bit of soil outside, a little little area which you can improve. Make it a little bit gritty. Put a little bit of potting grit or horticultural grit in there, and then just you know, set out a nice line, nice straight line, and uh, basically bury the plants by about uh, about about two thirds. So nine inches, so 23 centimeters in length. Cut your little cuttings and bury two thirds. So there's only like sort of six inches that sort are of sticking out of the the soil. That's all you need to do. And then forget them. Uh, almost forget them anyway. Remember where you have put them. And yep. then obviously come the spring, by the end of April, they should be shooting nicely you can then leave them there through the summer you can trim them back get nice bushy plants and then transplant them at this time of the year uh, next year so you have some nice strong plants to do that um, mm-hmm. but they do root really easily next uh, early part of next year so plants are free um, i'm all for that really yeah definitely
0: and the dahlias are still going aren't they i guess because if we haven't had our frost yet they're still looking lovely uh, normally, this time yes. of the year we should be thinking about sort of digging them up, shouldn't we?
1: That's it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the textbook way is that traditionally dahlias come late October, November get frosted. They go a lovely blackened colour as they as the frost hits them. And at that point, you then lift the tubers, dry them off for a day or two, and then store the tubers in. Uh, in, in 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 well a variety of materials i mean shredding newspaper or sawdust or or some uh, you know good quality peat free compost you've got handy and just store them over winter um a lot of people um don't do that; they just basically leave them where they are and let the plants naturally die down okay. and take a bit of a chat and I think I'm going to do that this year piece. I'm going to give a batch. I've got a nice little grouping of, of dahlias in the garden. I'm going to leave the whole batch and see how they fare. Um, mm-hmm. They've they mm. performed really well this year, but it's only been in the last. So the eight weeks they've been of any of any value. They really struggled in the hot weather, even though I was watering them. They didn't do particularly well, but they, their comeback was really late August, early September when they started to do their thing rather well. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people in this predicament. So uh, whether you lift them, well, if you lift them, they need to be blackened by the frost and then lifted carefully. If you're going to leave them, then just make sure you've got some labels to remind you where, where you've left them.
0: That's a good point there. That's great.
1: So uh, come come this time of year, Peter. There's a few things we can be doing in the the greenhouse or in the, our little small plastic greenhouses. Um yeah, yeah. Sowing a few broad beans, uh, aquadolls would be good. Um okay. Obviously, you, you just do, you just want to germinate them really, and just have them overwintering. Um, you could do the same really with uh, your strawberry crowns as well we I know we're waiting for those to come in at the garden center here but bare root strawberries are a really good way of, of building up a, you know good numbers and if you want a nice early crop for next year then pot those up into something like five or six inch pots in a yeah. nice good, good quality pea-free, pea-free compost and then again make sure with strawberries you don't pop them too deeply they need to be just slightly raised uh, from the, the crown needs to be uh, slightly above the soil level there and the other thing, of course, you can sow now if you haven't already done. Um, sweet peas. I've got to do mine in the next few weeks. I'm not, I've not, I've missed out the boat from being away, so I've got my sweet peas to sow. They can be sown now. Give a little bit of heat on the windowsill to germinate, and then put into a nice cool greenhouse or, or porch to overwinter. And of course, they'll be in flower at least for six weeks earlier than those you sow next spring. So, three things to to get going um, in in the greenhouse. Mm.
0: And I suppose if you've got a pond, um, good time to take the net out and fish out any um, mm. of your floating plants that die back in the winter. And obviously same with lilies. If there's dead leaves, or leaves dying off, pull those out um, because all they're going to do is just sort of rot down and make um Mm -hmm. sort of mess in your pond so it's it's obviously a good time to do that and maybe think about moving over to a wheat germ food if you're still feeding the fish i mean obviously at the moment it's warm but as it gets colder a wheat germ food for the autumn and then obviously just give up feeding them when it gets really cold but think about preparation for making a hole in the ice and making sure that you can keep the oxygen in the water but ponds obviously this time of the year are generally clearing up if they had green water in the summer mm. and um yeah just a good time to give your marginal plants a little bit of a clean up pull the old dying off leaves and dead leaves off them so that again that doesn't all fall into the water and saves you cleaning it up next year
1: Mm, yeah I quite agree Peter I mean my, my pond I've run a small pond it's looking certainly around the edge it's looking a little bit uh, bit tatty so that little job of you know cleaning up the irises and a few of the other plants which are sort of you know, toppled in because the amount of growth they've they've yep. made. And of course been a lot of plants have been searching out moisture, haven't they, through the summer? So mm. they've made a beeline for the edge of our pond. So that would be good as well. And I suppose, yeah, talking about cutting back as well, um, I mean again, timely wise, if you've got any climbing kind of roses which have, haven't been trimmed back now would be a good time just to, to reduce those, to stop the, the wind rock, which of course autumn gales are we've had some pretty pretty bad gales over the last sort of week or so. Um make sure you you get yeah, you're climbing roses in in a good shape before the winter to to stop any extra damage sort of occurring over the next uh, next few months mm. and is it too late to be planting bulbs we're still
0: in bulb planting season aren't we chris
1: yeah, not at all. No, we're in perfect time. I mean, November is the month for planting tulips. So um, if you if you're planting your tulips uh, either in pots in you know your lasagna type plantings where you're layering your bulbs up, that's a good thing to do. Yep. Um, I've got a lot of pots to plant in the next next few weeks, but no, we've got good good window now for the next sort of six eight weeks to get bulbs in. And because it's been so mild, our displays, our bedding displays have been looking so good. So we're perhaps all a little bit. To, to rip them out, so there has to come a point where you you need to clear clear the decks, empty your pots, and get the the bulbs in for a, a really good show next year. But uh, I know we, at the garden centre we're we're still well stocked of a lot of the popular varieties, so uh, don't delay. You know you don't want to miss out on some of the good varieties.
0: Yeah, I'm going to have a go at doing some, a lasagna pot or two lasagna pots for my sort of front door for next spring because I've never tried it and I think but, I really should give it oh, a you go. Must yeah. Um,
1: yeah, it's it's very rewarding, and, and you forget, as I say, Peter, the great thing of doing a lasagna pot—you you forget what you've put in. So, as the weeks and months progress in the spring, you know it's all a bit of a, a bit of an explosion of of uh, color, and you you know you're nicely rewarded with your your work you do back in in November. Brilliant. And
0: anything to do with house plants? I mean, obviously, we've cut down the watering a bit, I guess, this time mm. of year. And any uh, sort of planting of house plants we should be thinking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Peter, a lot of people these days are having a go at either creating a terrarium or a bottle garden. Um, they're becoming okay. really, really popular again, and uh, yeah. it's it's worth knowing that there's a nice range of, of smaller. Usually, about six centimeter. What we call top house plants, which are designed. Mm. Purposely for yeah. growing in terrarium. Well, I saw them in house plants the other day. They're they're
0: lovely little miniature house plants, mm. aren't they? Sort of nice mm. to see them. And yeah, I guess they perfect yeah. for terrariums and little planted arrangements.
1: Yeah, and they have a wonderful range. You know, you got you got your sort of ferns. You'll have your little asparagus fern, maybe, and uh etiantum, the, the main hair. And then you have more structured plants like a, a small palm, maybe, and then sort of bushier plants. Uh, like some of the bromeliads out of colour from things like the phytonia. They're they're nice and pink or white. So you know, with three or four plants in a, in a glass jar, you can make a real, you know, real statement. Especially if you use some nice coloured gravel or mm-hmm. stones just to set the display off. They can look really good. But the great thing is, you you know, your imagination can, can run riot, and you can create some really nice displays. And I know uh, I know the house plant team at the garden centre have been doing some really interesting mixes, which is great. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? But add your own individuality to your your displays. And uh, and of course, if you don't like it, if it overgrows. You can, you can change it. It's a, it's a real, a, you know, a, a movable feast, I think, is the it's a, And it works really well. And then, if you're thinking about other plants in your, your house at the moment, Peter, uh, which might need a bit of, um, shall we say, training or attention, a lot of plants produce these, what they call aerial roots, these yeah, shoots yeah. from the stems. Yep. Good old Monstera, we mentioned about the Swiss cheese plant earlier, and philodendrons. And So, sometimes to train those roots, you need to use a, a moss pole. So these are basically, okay. basically plastic tubing uh, covered in sphagnum uh, moss and then bound with uh, usually nylon twine yeah. and, and just kept moist. So you you need to keep these moss poles nice and damp. So probably probably two or three times a week mist spray the moss pole to try and encourage those roots from the plants to to grow into the uh, into the moss pole. It keeps your plants a lot tidier and. Um, mm if you think about some of those aerial routes you know they're the ones which if you remember your, your tarzan films from years ago your johnny mysmo he's the one who used to basically move from tree to tree yeah. he was actually um not ropes such he was actually on these amazing aerial routes from you know moving from plant to plant so they are very very strong and uh certainly my monster at home here produces an amazing amount of these aerial routes which of course just need to be kept captive with, they tend to move everywhere and everywhere in your in
0: your. Yeah, they room. go outside and down the side of the pot and all over the place, don't they? But it, it, like you say, sort of, you can they train do, them into do. into a central place. It keeps the whole plant a bit tidier and mm. stops it growing sideways a little bit, but not always.
1: <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. do that, yeah.
0: Brilliant. Well, thanks for those tips then, Chris. And uh, as always, a few more jobs to do, isn't there? But um, just thinking, moving forwards, our next show is a bit of a cracker, isn't it? We've got Alan down the HTA, or the new HTA president, should I say, coming to chat to us. So looking forward to listening to that. That should be a good show. It
1: should indeed, yes. It'll be uh, coming in the next episode. Couple of weeks, and uh, it will be great to to speak to Alan and find out all his interesting, amazing, interesting career paths to, uh, to his, his current position of HCA president. Yeah, what definitely. an achievement.
0: Well, he's a nurseryman. He was a propagator. I mean, he's got some fascinating tales mm. and obviously done quite a bit of travelling and photography as well. So definitely he's an interesting well. person yeah. to yeah. learn about. So yeah. hopefully you can join us for that show. And as always, if you like what we chat about, please tell your friends so our listener numbers keep on growing and we can get to entertain a few more of you.
1: That's great. Thanks, Peter. Excellent. Okay. thanks then, Chris. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives, from parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk